place it comfortably. So evening everyone. Before I start talking, begin this Dharma talk, it's wonderful just to just to stop and experience the rain falling. Isn't it wonderful? Like a simple thing like rain falling. Um, it kind of warms your heart, doesn't it? Um, some years ago, um, I remember giving a Dharma talk um, which was about, it was maybe the title of it was, but it was about what I described as um, organic intelligence. And I was using the word organic intelligence as a way of trying to describe a term we use as Buddha nature or true nature. And um, when, when you look at the world at large, nature, forests, animals, all different species and so on, life, um, there's a way of looking at it where you see that everything is intelligent. There's a kind of a, a natural intelligence that runs through cells, you know, living cells and um, organs and organisms, um, lungs, tissue, muscles, you know, and how things grow, like how a, a tree grows and survives and how trees have communities, you know, that help each other to survive and cooperate and how all forms of life do that. And uh, it doesn't mean, at least from a Buddhist point of view, it's not implying that there is a, a clockmaker who made it all like a god that made it all, but rather God is, is the intelligence that runs through all things. And um, recently, um, or, or I'm in the midst of um, reading a book by uh, Dr. Ian McGilchrist. And um, you may remember a number of years ago, I read his first book and I was really inspired by it. And it was called The, um, the Master and His Emissary. And he's a psychiatrist and a neuroscientist as well as a, um, uh, an Oxford scholar of literature. Uh, so he's extremely well read and across a lot of different disciplines. And his basic hypothesis um, is that um, there is the left hemisphere of the brain and the right hemisphere of the brain and they work together but they each have a different take, a different kind of different attentional take on experiencing life and uh, his second book that I'm reading at the moment is an expansion of that hypothesis but it's more than just about science, it's really about um, philosophy and spirituality and when, when I read his first book and now reading his second book, which I find quite extraordinary and, and equally inspiring and validating, I must say, as well, um, he's really talking about Dharma or Buddhism without using Buddhist terms. He's, he's looking at it from a scientific point of view um, and really seeing life in the same way that you start to see life through practicing the Dharma. And in his book, The, the Matter of Things, <clears throat> what he's basically getting at is there are no things. There's no such thing as things, as in separate entities that exist isolated from 
the rest of life. Everything is interconnected um, and um, everything is a flow. Everything is a stream that's dynamic and changing all the time, just like a, a waterfall is dynamic and changing all the time. He also uses the same expression to describe a human being like you or me or a cat or a mouse. Is what we're best described as a flow, as a flow of energy that's moving, changing, interweaving, and the certain in that flow, there are certain patterns emerge. You know, in terms of our behaviour and the way we think and how our organs work and so on. Um, but it's all a flow of energy, and um, and he describes the same. Um, He's not the first person to, um, but many people have made a lot of connections between quantum theory in modern Western science and a Dharma way of understanding the world of emptiness and so on. That again, there's no such thing as like basic building blocks like particles or atoms, etc. And they're all kind of solid things, and then you build up the universe from it. Is that what quantum? Um, physical quantum theory tells us is it's all empty. And so you, you get down to the basis and that there's not particles, there's wave particles, wavicles. You know, it's just energy whirring around. So everything's empty in a sense and yet it takes on all of these different forms like you and me and the chair and the mat and so on. But everything is just this whirring of energy of nothingness really. Um, it has emptiness and it has form, as the as the um, the Heart Sutra tells us. So this book is a is a, a book of words and science and, and so on to help us to see the world differently. Uh, instead of looking at the world as though it's mechanistic and um, and it's just made up of building blocks of things like a Lego set. Yeah, is that it's all a flow and it's all interconnected and you can't separate one thing off from another. And um, what he demonstrates through um, really painstaking research into biology and so on is that people like us, Western educated people, perhaps more than we realise, um, are educated into scientific views of the world which are very old-fashioned views. They're like kind of Newtonian physics, they're like causal chains. We're not a flow, we're just sort of a causal chain of one cause after another, like vehicles. And if you could just sort of work it all out, you would understand how a human being operates biologically and psychologically. That's really, that's really old-hat science, and yet um, our biological sciences and our psychological sciences don't follow this new um, quantum view of understanding life. We follow the old view. It's a mechanistic view. And so we have views of ourself that we're perhaps even unconscious of, that we're kind of like mechanisms, you know, and that we're driven by me mechanistic forces, you know, like genes and so on. Like genes are just the building blocks, you know, and the genes determine who you are, etc., etc. What he's describing, and he, dis and, and he looks into the research of many very prominent 
biologists and chemists and physicists and so on, is that e even at a cellular level, there is intelligence. And a cell makes decisions. It's got intelligence and it makes decisions and it takes actions to include itself with other cells or to compete or to deal with something in a certain way. So even at a cellular level, there is an intelligence running through all things. But human beings, being as kind of um, human-centric and egocentric as we are, we have really up until now in Western culture think that we're the only intelligent beings in the world and that our intelligence is all up here in our mind, brain. But what these new, these new theories and these new paradigms show us that it's not just us that are intelligent. All, all forms of life are intelligent. You know, they, they, they process things, they make decisions um, in order to survive and cooperate. And that nature, you know, is a, it's, it's a mixture of cooperation and competition, but it's all of that you could call collaboration. It's collaborating in some way. So, whether you get there through science or whether you, whether you get there through meditation practice, um, what my hunch is, or what my intuition is, I don't know whether it's been proven scientifically, but that would be interesting. But what my intuition is from my own experience is that the more that you meditate, it's kind of like you're getting out of the entrapment of that conceptual left brain that wants to divide everything up into things and looks at the world in a very mechanistic, deductive kind of way. And that what seems to happen is, I think through years and years, years and years or weeks and weeks, days and days of doing meditation practice, is that the right brain has a chance to not become more dominant, but to find its true place. It's through, the, it's through the right hemisphere that we experience things holistically um, and that we see things as a flow and it's connected into the present moment and it's connected into our body and it's connected into our feelings. So I'm oversimplifying things, but it's kind of like the right side of the brain is the, 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 the central aspect of emotional intelligence to put it that way. And the left side of the brain is kind of a bit more like a computer. Like give it the right information and it's brilliant. You know, it comes up with these brilliant mathematical and, and you know, deductive kind of things. But, um, but if, it, if it's not, but it doesn't pick up novelty in the environment, the right side of the brain does. And the left side of the brain, like a computer, tends to be um, it thinks it knows everything, like a computer does. Um, and it uh, doesn't pick up novelty, it doesn't pick up meaning, it doesn't, doesn't pick up nuance or anything like that. It just picks up facts as individual things. And so the way science is evolving and the way that you grow as a human being through Dharma practice is to come to that same point is to see that there's no isolation anywhere. Like I was saying in the beginning um, of our meditation period, 
to see that you, you're connected into a whole and, and, a, and, a, and, and a kind of a, what's the right word to use, like a, an extraordinary whole, a fascinating holistic view of life and you're not isolated. When Dogen says body and mind has dropped away, he doesn't mean it literally, he just means kind of like the idea that you're this separate mind-body that's not connected into the universe, that drops away. You know? So it is quite, just it's a, an extraordinary practice that helps us to really intuitively experience life in a different way. Um, which scientists are now uh, catching up to. So it's life transforming. Um, it's not just that you're calming the mind, is that the sense of ego separateness is fading away, dropping away, right? and this, this new sense of connectedness to life is emerging as you do this practice. And when you see life in that way, it just can't be boring. It can't be. It can't be boring. It's impossible to be boring because every every moment is extraordinary. Taking up the garbage bin is extraordinary. The rain falling on the on the road is extraordinary. The trucks going by is extraordinary. Each breath is extraordinary. 